Okay, take your Bibles out tonight and let's turn to a different book. Turn to Hosea, book of Hosea. So I'll give you a little bit more time to find that one. Book of Hosea. Look in the table of contents if you need to. And we're going to look at the, uh, uh, some verses out of the first chapter. And I've been reading through the Minor Prophets. That's kind of tough in some ways. And uh, you see the unfaithfulness of Israel to God, even though he was faithful and faithful and faithful. And finally, he brings to pass what he had warned them about. Now, keep in mind, if God only intended to judge and he was pleased to judge and that's what he really wanted to do, he wouldn't have warned them. He would have just done it and just destroyed them. But the warning was always to give them a chance to repent. But over and over and over with all of the prophets and all of the writings, all of the things that we can read about, they just didn't. And they didn't want to and they didn't think that they needed to. And because of that, the bad guys suffered, of course, but so did, this is what dawned on me, so did Hosea. When you read about Hosea's life and what God commanded him to do, this is rough stuff. And I got to thinking about it. When we're living, as I think we are now, a nation that is under the judgment of God, I hope it's a a judgment of correction and uh, not the other kind, destruction. But even while we're going through this, you know what? Christian people are paying more for their food now, just like lost people. And when gas prices went up so high, it cost us more to come to church and do even ministry things. Uh, as it did for lost people to do ungodly things. We suffer right along with them. And sometimes we kind of have the idea that we shouldn't. And yet God has called us during these times to live in these times with all of the sexual immorality, with all the drug and alcohol abuse, with government corruption, and all of those kind of things that we find. We live in this because our light shines best in the darkness and so God has given us the opportunity to live in these dark times well we're not the first he's not picking on us he hadn't just ordained it for us and nobody else this has been a common thing for the church a common thing for Christian people to live in those kind of times I mean we don't have anybody being thrown to the gladiators Uh, at least I don't think we do and yet that was common in the time of the apostle Paul And we don't have uh, people being imprisoned for their faith, at least not at this time. But that was common in the days of the Apostle Paul. And the churches struggled and they suffered through all of that. And uh, again, even as we go back to the Old Testament, Israel is on its way to an invasion by the Assyrian kingdom. They're going to be taken captive. And uh, Hosea is right in the middle of it. And so is Isaiah and several others of the Uh, minor prophets and by the way they're called minor not because they're not important but because they're smaller you can read through them uh, much much quicker so let's just take a look at Hosea chapter 1 and let's read verses 1 through 9 and uh, then you can laugh at me when I struggle with the names okay the word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of uh, Beera in the days of Hezekiah or Uzziah, pardon me, and um, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. I got ahead of myself just a little. And these are kings of Judah. Uh, So what? Now here, sir, you have to put your thinking cap on. Remember, by the time he wrote this, 
Israel has had a civil war and split into two kingdoms. It's a little confusing because the northern kingdom with uh, ten tribes is called Israel. And the southern kingdom that it broke away from is called Judah. So you'll see in the things that we read, some things are addressed to Judah, some things are addressed to Israel. Two different nations at this point. So we find that Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, they're kings of Judah. That's down in the south where Jerusalem is and the temple is. And in the days of Jeroboam, and then he qualifies it, the son of Joash, that would be Jeroboam II, the different one than the founding king, and he was king of Israel at that time. Okay, still with me? Verse 2. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, strange request, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, making me an illustration, Hosea must have said. And it says, so he went and he took... And this is always a funny word because it looks like Gomer. And if you're my age, you know immediately what you think of when you think of Gomer. So let's call her Gomer, okay? And so uh, he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Debilium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while... I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And you can look that up and read about that. And bring an end to the kingdom of the house of... And what's your Bible say right there? Israel. Not Judah. Israel. The northern kingdom. Those ten tribes. They were very, very bad. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel... In the valley of Jezreel. That's where they were going to be defeated. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Rahamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. This is encouraging, isn't it? And it says, But I will utterly take them out of the way. Take them away. Exile. And yet I will have mercy on the house of, what's your Bible say there? Judah, southern kingdom, okay? These people were not as bad as the northern kingdom. God gave them more time. And he said, um, let's see, I will have no mercy. Yet I will have mercy, pardon me, on the house of Judah. Will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by the bow nor by the sword or battle or by horses or horsemen. In other words, God said it's not going to be an act of war. I'm just going to intervene and save them from the Assyrian kingdom. But I'm not going to save the northern kingdom. Is that making sense? And verse 8 says, Now when he had weaned Lo-Rahamah, uh, she conceived again and bore a son. And then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now that's tough stuff. And Hosea, faithful man, is having to live with all of that. 
He marries a wife, and we assume when he married her, everything was normal. She was a normal virgin girl, and he married her, and they started having children. But then she strayed, and she became a prostitute. How would you like to have that in your spouse? And then having children through her prostitution that Hosea is going to raise. Why would God do that? Because he's painting a picture of the hurt that he bears because of the unfaithfulness, particularly of the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel didn't have anything good about it. They built golden calves. They uh, worshipped those golden calves and other idols and things like that. Not to mention there was multiple sexual sins that were going on. And God finally said, I've warned you, I've warned you, I've warned you, I've warned you, and I've warned you. Think of all the prophets where they were warned. And then he finally says, enough. I'm sick of this. And now you're going to feel my wrath. And so he gives the names of these children to give a picture. Think about all of it when Hosea takes a kid to the store and he's doing a little bit of shopping. Can you imagine the whispers? That's not really his child. You know what I saw his wife doing? Can you imagine the humiliation of all of that? And then when someone happened to ask what is his or her name the names were very literal and basically God was saying I'm through with all of you I've had enough of all of this you wouldn't listen to me and now the uh, price is going to be paid and the consequences are going to come and yet at the same time think about this and keep this in mind what was Hosea's guilt in all of this nothing Hosea was not an idolater Hosea was not promoting all of the immorality that was going on, and yet he has to suffer in the midst of it. And again, that's where we live. If America is under the judgment of God, as I believe she is, then that means you and I have to pay the price as well. Now, we know God is with us and he'll take care of us, but nonetheless, it's not easy to suffer in a nation that is going downhill and going downhill fast and we love our children, we want to protect them, we love our grandchildren, we want to protect them, and that's why we need to be praying for our nation, and that's why we need to be witnessing for Christ, that's why we need to be living godly lives instead of joining in with the world like so many Christians are doing, and that's why we need to be uh, faithful unto the Lord. We want His blessing upon our life. Now, it doesn't look like Hosea is being blessed, but he actually is. He's being used to proclaim the truth of the word of God. And that actually is the only hope that Israel and Judah have during this time. And both of them are going to go in exile. The northern kingdom, Israel, is going to go in about uh, 721 or so B.C. And the southern kingdom is going to be captured by Babylon in 586 B.C. And that's when the temple is destroyed. Quite a bit of time between the two uh, destructions, but they're both are going to happen and that's Hosea's message now you can imagine everybody wanted Hosea to speak at the Kiwanis Club didn't they come Hosea and tell us what the Lord's told you and tell us how great our nation is and then he comes in and that's his message you can imagine they weren't extremely happy with him so uh, when we think about uh, Hosea let's do number one we're going to talk about 
the life and times of Hosea. It wasn't an easy time. Had he been born a little earlier or maybe a little later or a different century or in a different place, he might have enjoyed life and he might have enjoyed his ministry a lot more. But he's got it tough. This is something that he's got to do and the people are not going to listen to him. Wouldn't you like that assignment? And his message is not entirely positive. The word of the Lord came to Hosea and it tells us the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah. Now Uzziah was the one in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees the Lord and is cleansed and all of that kind of thing. The very first part of chapter 6 says, in the year that King Uzziah died. What does that tell us? Hosea ministered during the reign of Uzziah. Isaiah minister during the reign of Uzziah so they were contemporaries and there were several other prophets that kind of overlapped there wasn't just one prophet at one time and in one place many times there were several prophets there was even a school of the prophets in the book of second kings and so uh, the, these people are sometimes working together prophesying close to the same thing and the people well they just don't care much for any of them and when we think about uh, this, there's stuff going on in the northern kingdom, stuff going on in the southern kingdom, but the kingdom is divided. And just like when uh, I lived in Berlin during the Cold War, there was a wall between them, there was a border between them, and uh, actually the people on the east side of the Berlin Wall and the west side of the Berlin law, uh, Wall were many times related. They put the border right down the middle. Sometimes it would go, it was the strangest thing, that wall would be built through the middle of an apartment complex. One side of it would be free, one side of it would be under communism. And yet they spoke the same language, had the same culture, they knew each other, they were related to each other, but they could not have much interaction. That's the way Israel and Judah was back in this day a divided kingdom and nobody's really happy with all of that they're angry with each other there were times when they would even go to war and then other times they would have an alliance with each other and very very strange so this is the divided kingdom in that time Uzziah is the king of Judah in the south and he lived in Isaiah's time as well as Hosea's time and when we think about Israel, that northern kingdom, it was wicked, it was evil, and it was idolatrous. And uh, yet at the same time, strangely enough, until they were invaded, they were very prosperous, they were very prideful, they were very, very violent, and there was a lot of upheaval that was going on, on during this time. In fact, um, one uh, commentator said, the nation had six kings within about 30 years. Does that sound like a big deal? Well, when we think about presidents, it's not. When we think about kings and royalty, it is. How long did Queen Elizabeth sit on the throne? Long time. Queen Victoria, long time. And so when you think about a king, that's a lifetime appointment, and they live until they die. And so in 30 years to have six kings... Six lifetimes in only 30 years? Well, that gives us a clue that things were not real great. This was a period filled with intrigue and violence. Zechariah was murdered after only, uh, he was a king of Israel, murdered after only six months in power. And the usurper, 
Shalom was assassinated one month later. Okay, so Shalom kills Zechariah, and then a month later, he's assassinated. Talk about upheaval in all of this. And the next king, Menahem, uh, survived for a decade only by paying burdensome tribute or taxes to uh, Tiglath-Pilazer, uh, who was a king of Assyria, Assyria, and his son, Pekiah, was assassinated by an army officer, Pekah, his name's kind of similar, aren't they, after only two years' reign. And subsequently, Pekah was disposed of by Hosea, not Hosea, Hosea, a king there in Israel whose rebellion against the Assyrians led to the end of the northern kingdom in 721 or so B.C. So can you imagine every time there's a king assassinated, there's not only a new king, but it's a different king from maybe a different persuasion or a different party or a different philosophy. And uh, when they don't like one, they just kill him. And when they don't like that one, then they kill him. And then somebody else rises up and kills him. Now, can you imagine the upheaval if during a 30-year period we had six presidents assassinated, dead and buried and gone? Can you imagine what would change and how people would change and the confusion? And can you imagine how our enemies would take care of all of that? Well, it was no different in the times of Israel. This northern kingdom goes through all of this violence, and upheaval, and it's disturbing, and it's very sad, and you've got the enemies surrounding them, especially the empire of Assyria saying, now's our chance. Just wait, just wait, now's our chance, get them. And they move in, and they try to take over both kingdoms, but God protected the southern kingdom of Judah, but he let the northern kingdom fall. In the northern kingdom, they're taken off into uh, exile. And uh, we call those the ten lost tribes of Israel. And the Assyrians brought back a lot of Gentiles and pagans, put them back into that land, that northern kingdom. And uh, those people intermarried with the remnant of Jews that were left. And they became the Samaritans that we find in the New Testament. So this is a very ugly and awful time. And when Judah, the southern kingdom, they kind of think like maybe some of us do. Well, we're too big, we're too strong, we're too prosperous, and we have the temple. God won't let this place be destroyed, but it was. And so this is all what is going on during the life and the times of Hezekiah. Israel, the northern kingdom, marked out for destruction by God. And the examples Hosea displayed is point number two. And this is a personal example. He has to live this. Why do God's people suffer? Well, we know that God is sovereign. We know the steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And yet sometimes he leads us into places of suffering. Some people, it is unbearable and unbelievable. Some people, it's relatively minor. But all of us are going to suffer in this life. And so during this time, what are we supposed to do? We're on display to show what it is like for the people of God. We're just like everybody in the world. We sin and we suffer. 
We also are different because we have the Word of God, the plan of God, the people of God. We have a lot of history that we can study in Christianity. And so our lives ought to be significantly different even though we're suffering. We don't sorrow, Paul says, as others who have no hope. In other words, we still sorrow, but we do it with hope. And so we are an example as we walk through this uh, world. And so that's found in verse 2. You read about all of the things that Hosea is actually going through. And think about it, he suffered it on a personal level. I mean, this is his actual wife that is committing prostitution on him. These are children that he is raising that are not even, in some cases, his own children. And yet he has to live through that. And God says, I'm doing this because I want you to picture what it's like to have Israel, that northern kingdom, to stray, worship idols, and commit adultery on me. This is what it's like. Now, we might look at that and say, well, thanks, Lord, you know, for putting me in that situation. And what I want you to see is this was not an easy thing for Hosea to do. It's not easy living in this world anyway. It's not easy living in a nation that is so immoral anyway. You feel out of step. You feel out of touch. You feel like nobody hears you. You feel like what you pray and what you vote and how you live doesn't really matter. It seems like the enemy has all the resources and, and they just come in like a tidal wave whenever they want to. Well, you can only imagine how Hosea must have felt. Society, society is collapsing all around him, and he is called to live in it. And judgment is looming, and the people were not responding to any of God's warnings. Now, here's a verse. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified uh, Version of the Bible. It's in Hosea chapter 11, verse 2, and it says this. You ever felt this way? The more they, the prophets, called them to repentance and obedience, the more they went away from them and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and turning uh, and burning, pardon me, incense to the carved images. You know what? The more he preached, the worse it got. The more the people, the remnant that did love God, the more they spoke up, the more the pagans were determined to worship idols and burn incense to them. You know what? I can identify with that. It seems like the harder we try, the more we organize, the more we post things on social media, the more we get out into the world and all of that, the, the worse things actually get. Well, that was the situation in the nation of Israel. Hosea couldn't come together and say, you know what, I was preaching the other day and a million people turned their lives around and everything was great. No, not him, not him. He was to give a message of doom and a message of warning and it was a message that the people would not listen to and the harder he tried and the harder he preached, the more stubborn the people were to rebel against God and go into idolatry. Unlike when Jonah went to Nineveh, those people heard and, man, they repented, but not Israel. 
They had heard all this stuff before. They had been raised in all of this. These are, after all, the people who had been brought up, their ancestors, out of the land of Egypt. They would heard all the stories about the manna and the quail and the water out of the rock. They heard all of that. They heard about Joshua when he fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. They knew all that kind of stuff. And so whenever Grandma would start telling them that story, we've heard that stuff before. Don't you have anything fresh or relevant? And so they were quick to run off to worship the Baals and to worship gods of sexual immorality. And the more that you tried to warn them out of love and mercy and grace, the more determined they were to go into the uh, sinful uh, things. And that's what uh, Hosea 11.2 tells us. That's a terrible, terrible thing to do. Number three. I want you to notice that God makes his meaning abundantly clear. We say sometimes, I think God's trying to tell me something. God doesn't try to tell anything. He just tells you. And you can rebel against it or you can accept it. But he makes it really, really clear. And uh, it says that Hosea then, he took Gomer and he took his daughter, uh, took the daughter of Debelium, and uh, she conceived. We would expect that. But then she starts having these children. And the children are things like, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the um, bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Because this has been going on for a long time. This was nothing new, and their sin against God was nothing new. You know, sometimes we look back and we say, oh boy, I sure miss the, and then we name a decade if, if you're older like we are. And yet when we really look back in those decades that were so simple and nice and peaceful and everybody went to church and all of that, there was a lot of hypocrisy. There was a lot of sin. There was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. There was a lot of that kind of stuff and a stirring of rebellion against authority and all of that. But it was the same way back in the 50s. And maybe it gets more pronounced as time goes on, but the roots are still there. And they've always been there because people are sinners against God. And the natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. And we, like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, we're unclean people in the midst of an unclean people. And that's why he said, Woe is me! I've seen the Lord, and I'm filthy, and I come from a generation of filthiness. And that's why God sent the angel to take a coal out of the tongs, put it on Isaiah's lip and say, see, you've been cleansed. And the only response when he hears God say, who sh whom shall I send and who will go for us? The only thing Isaiah can say is, here am I, send me. And so many times it's kind of a joke, but we want to say, oh, God is so good and so powerful. Whom shall I send? Here am I, send Bob. Right? We want somebody else to go. We'll pay and we'll pray, but we don't want to be the ones. Well, Hosea is the one, and this is in a tough time. And God says, I want this to be not just a theory that you were preaching. I want this to be your experience, and I'm going to put you through the mill. And it is going to hurt, and it is going to crush your soul. Read through the rest of the book, and you'll see how it is. It hurts to live in a land like we live in. It hurts to live in rebellion. It hurts to live when people glorify and magnify and applaud sin. And yet we must 
stand up and we must be firm and we must not whine and cry about it. We have been chosen to live in this time and our children have been chosen to live in their time and to shine as lights in the midst of the darkness. And so God makes it real clear, I'm going to break Israel's bow. They're not going to have a gun to shoot in this whole thing. They're, not, they're going to be completely defenseless when the king of Assyria comes and when they are plundered and when they are taken away into captivity. Now God had warned them, and again, the only reason you warn is because you want people to repent and you give them opportunity. And so he warns before he destroys. And there was an opportunity for them to get right. It was a genuine opportunity, but they didn't want it. And you would think they would jump at it. Wow, God's going to do something gracious. And their attitude, who cares? I'd rather go over here. It's more fun over at the temple of Baal than it is in the house of the Lord. Why should we care about any of that? That's old-fashioned. It doesn't live up to the hype of today. It's not any fun. And so that brings us to point number four. Sadly, God gave them what they desired. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look down at verse 8, and you think about this. Whenever somebody would say, I'm not going to the temple, but I am going to Baal, what are they really saying? I'd rather have Baal. I don't want God. I don't want anything to do with him. When the prophets would come and they would kill the prophets or they would imprison the prophets or anything like that, sometimes try to bribe the prophets even. And uh, when they were doing that, what were they really saying? We don't want to hear the word of the Lord. We are not interested in what God has to say. We'll do it our way and we'll worship our gods and we'll have a great time doing it. Go be bored somewhere else. We're going to have a good time and we are going to enjoy the whole situation. And so that's a sad thing. God gave them what they wanted. It was as if God was saying, oh, you don't want to worship me? Then forget it. You don't want to be in my presence? Then forget it. You don't want to love me and you don't want my mercy to be showered upon you? Then forget it. You get what you deserve. C.S. Lewis said that that was his vision of hell. Hell was lost people saying all their lives, shaking their fist at God, I don't want you, leave me alone. And in hell they get their wish for eternity. No mercy, no grace, no compassion, nothing but the wrath of God the entire time. And so um, when we read this verse, you, you get to that last one and you say, call, you see, call his name Loami for you are not my people and I will not be your God. You don't want me. You don't have to put up with me anymore. The line has been drawn. This is it. And so they strayed because they didn't want to serve God. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so... Um, now they find themselves in a situation to where even... I'm sure that when the Assyrians came and were dragging the people off, don't you know there was a lot of, God, where are you? It's like, been here all the time, but you didn't call on me before. And I wonder how many people in America, they don't have any room for God, any need for God, until a tragedy strikes, until an emergency comes. Then they're crying out to God and then blaming Him because He doesn't do anything. No, it's because... Israel didn't heed the warning. They had plenty of opportunity. And so uh, God gave them what they really wanted. And so finishing up here in the application, think about this. 
Hosea's faithfulness came in hard times. Okay? Why isn't it all just sunshine and roses? Well, it's all because of sin, cursed people, and a cursed world. And remember, our light is to shine in darkness. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. Light doesn't matter a whole lot until it gets dark. And when it's dark, they really see it. And God put Hosea in a dark place. God has us in a dark place that our light might shine. And remember that Hosea's faithfulness came at a great price. This was not easy for him. This was not his dream. Hey, Mom, someday I'm going to grow up and be a prophet. Oh, that's great, son. Yeah, and I'm going to marry a prostitute, and she's going to cheat on me. That's, that wasn't in the plan. But that's what God commanded him to do because he wanted to make that uh, picture. And it reminds me that Jesus told all of us, count the cost. Remember that? Count the cost. You don't go out and start to build a tower and then run out of material because you didn't count the cost. Count the cost. How much does it cost you to serve Jesus? And the answer is everything. You surrender unto him and you live as he wants you to live, where he wants you to live, and in the situation he wants you to live, just like Hosea. And we think we're following the American dream. We're going to avoid all of that and uh, it, it doesn't happen. Think about this. Hosea's faithfulness was not uh, applauded. You know, when he's living in a place like that, in a condition like that, it's not like Hosea goes, Hey, everybody, let me tell you something. God has called me to preach and bring his message to you. Praise God, isn't that great? No, they would rather pick up rocks. They would rather ignore you. They would rather do something else. And that's what they did with Jesus. That's what they did with the Apostle Paul and so many others. In fact, whenever you read your Bible in a language you can understand English, think about what they read sometime about what they did to William Tyndall, all because he wanted to translate the scripture into the language of the plowboy, as he called it. They paid a high, high, high price for what they did. And so... Um, we have to make it our aim to please God, as the Apostle Paul told us, and not to please man, because you're not. And then think about this. Hosea's faithfulness was personally painful to him. And it didn't end. It wasn't quick. It wasn't just a short period of time. And the Bible tells us, the Apostle Peter wrote us, don't be surprised when fiery trials overtake you. Now, we like to think that they are rare. We like to think that they happen to other people in other nations, in other places. Well, put yourself in the place of somebody in Saudi Arabia who meets like you are tonight only to have soldiers take them as they walk out of the building and put them in prison for doing nothing more than just worshiping God. Think about that. Think about people that were martyred in the Soviet Union and communist nations for simply gathering to worship i read about one guy that his job was to lead a squad that would go and find christians and he found them at a baptismal place they were by a lake and he took the people and he had a special club that he would hit them on the head with and then he would take old ladies and he would throw them on the ground and take sand from the beach of that lake and stuff it in their mouths so they couldn't sing or testify of christ can you imagine living like that 
You're going to get to meet them one day in heaven and hear their story. But can you even begin to imagine? And we think all of this is just the way it's supposed to be or normal, and yet it's not. God's people have suffered throughout the years over and over and over. And so the worse the society, then the greater the need for people to be bold in their faith and bold in the gospel. This is not the time, as we said this morning, to be quiet. This is the time to be clear because the gospel is America's only hope. And we live during this time and we suffer during this time just like other people of God have suffered. And then we realize, though, that we're going to be rewarded when we get to heaven for faithfulness to God. Well done. What kind of servant? Faithful servant. And that's our goal, to be a faithful servant of God, no matter what the times declare. And then we need to quit thinking, oh, it's worse than it's ever been. I doubt that. Hosea would probably argue with you on that. It may be the worst in our lifetime or in our country, but it's not the worst Christians have ever been through. And so we go through it with the blessing of God, under the plan of God, and in the power of God, and certainly for the glory of God. So Christians, stand firm and let God use you, as he did Hosea, to be an example of him, of his holiness, of his plan, of his power, of his uh, law, all of those kind of things, and let's live for the glory of God and let our light shine bright for him because he is indeed and always faithful. May we pray together? Lord, we ask you to forgive us for all the times when we whine and when we complain about so many things, when we actually have it so good and we do so well And even in our bad times, we're much better off than most of the people that we find in the Bible. Even in our bad times, we're better off than most of the people that we find in the world. And yet it's during those times and during confusion and turmoil and sin and immorality and injustice and all of the things we see going on around us, we have the opportunity to show love and grace and mercy to live and walk in the peace of God that passes all understanding, to display the fruit of the Spirit so that people come to us and say, how do you do this? How do you make it? How in the world are you still optimistic? And we can tell them about our Lord, and we can tell them about His death on the cross for our sins. We can tell them about how our Lord overcame death, hell, and the grave and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and is coming back one day. And so we pray like the Apostle John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, may we be your faithful ones like Hosea was, no matter what the cost may be, And may we be faithful and may we be fruitful and may we be joyful as we do it for the glory of God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.